excited, guys, and I really pray that um, over the next uh, couple of months, uh, next eight weeks, we've been really looking forward to this, and um, even just in preparing this uh, so much. And I really got to got to say, um, in what I share today, it, it's going to be a lot to take in. Okay, I'll, I'll warn you now. Um, there's a lot to get through over these eight weeks, and this is why we've really been promoting that um, even just for eight weeks to get into a group where you can then go back over what is shared. We've put together some studies that are touching on the points um, that will be shared today and over the next eight weeks. Uh, and what we want to do is just make sure that we're not just you know, flying over the top of it from a bird's eye view, but that we're really getting into it um, in, a practical, in a practical way. So again, I really want to encourage you to get into a group through the week, see Pastor Steve after, after service if you haven't found one yet, um, and he will find one for you because there is, there is a lot to take in with this. And I know we've dedicated eight weeks to it, but man, we could dedicate eight months and just um, touching on a lot of, of this. But what we are going to do is, is look at the, the seven feasts that were given to Israel by God, and we're going to find them in Leviticus 23. And it's a fascinating study, okay? And the purpose is of this series is not to make us Jewish, all right? It's not to ordain or reinstate Old Testament practices um, as something that we need to do as a religious duty. The whole purpose, and, and you get that from the title of the series, is that we're looking to find how Jesus Christ fulfilled the historical and prophetic nature of these feasts he fulfilled the first four of them in his first coming 2000 years ago and he'll be fulfilling the remaining three of them when he comes back okay because he is coming back yeah put your hand up if you believe he's coming back yeah hallelujah i'm talking to the right crowd one thing that's encouraged me in this study and as i've been preparing is god's faithfulness it's one of the main things I want you to, to get out of these next eight weeks is God's faithfulness. Who believes that God does what he says he's going to do? Yeah, it's not like men who sort of say one thing and do another. If God says he's going to do something, guess what? It'll end up being done. Amen. And I want to, us to, to have no doubt about this. And, and it'll come even more significant to us as we look at these feasts. Amos 3.17 uh, 3.7 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Okay? So God, nothing that God does really comes as a surprise. Jesus said to his followers in John 15.15, 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So God has revealed to us his plans and his purposes through the voice of his prophets, okay? Right from Genesis 3.15 through to Revelation 22.16, God lays out, he provides picture after picture of his entire plan for mankind. And we as kings and priests, we are kings and priests, right? Kings and priests. 
would do well to search them out and to have an understanding of these plans, especially considering the season that we live in. You know, it's not for academic purposes that we do so, but that we might be fruitful. It's not just about knowledge, okay? It's not just about the learning of them, but it's how we can apply them in our life and how we can build up our faith in this, our most holy faith. Jesus goes on to say in John 15, verse 16, that we did not choose him, but he chose us and appointed us to go and bear fruit. It was confirmed this morning, even in some of the scriptures shared, that that is what he has done. My friends, finding Jesus in the feast is not a, so much about an issue of salvation. Our sins are forgiven. Our salvation is assured based solely upon our faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the cross of Calvary. This is about being effective and fruitful witnesses as disciples of Jesus Christ because we have an understanding of the plans and purposes. You see, if he has a plan and a purpose for the world, we know that he has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. Amen? Because like we said before, nothing he does comes as a surprise. Even before we were born, our plans were in place. The blueprints were there. Let me put it like this. Who here loves growing veggies? Yeah? Some of us? Some of us go grow our veggies at Woolies, do we? How many of you know that to grow a good vegetable crop, certain things need to happen? It's more than just grabbing a, a handful of seeds, walking out in the backyard and going... Psh, walking away and then three months later coming back and trying to find something. Is that how you grow vegetables? Of course not. Okay, you might fluke it. Okay, you might fluke it. One seed might land in a good spot which gets enough water and all that sort of stuff and you might find something. But there are many factors in growing a quality crop. Obviously, the ground in which it's sown. The season in which you plant it. Some even work to the moon, whether it's going up or going down, can affect the quality of fruit. And obviously things like watering, fertilizer and weeding. Knowing these things is useful when we want a good crop. And so if we want to be fruitful, we don't just leave it to chance. God tells us to equip ourselves, amen? He tells us to equip ourselves. And again, this series will equip us to give an answer, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. Do you have an answer for that? If someone comes up to you and says, man, you're just full of hope all the time, why? You go, I don't know. There is an answer. There is an answer to it. And his name is Jesus. Amen. One more point I just want to make mention of before we get right into it. And that is the issue of faith, of which there's two things. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is what? An assurance. It's an assurance of the things hoped for and certainty, depending on your translation, of things yet to be seen. There's an assurance and a certainty in looking at the fulfillment of God's promises in the past through Jesus Christ when we come to look at it through the feasts of the Lord. We see that His fulfillment of the first four assure us of His fulfillment in the next three. Even just in, in preparing this study, my faith in, and just the assurity of knowing has grown so much. And this is my prayer for you, that as we go through these eight weeks, that your faith is built up and your certainty of what lays ahead will go stronger and stronger. Why? Because, you know, we say God is faithful. It's, we know God is faithful. But what about here? What about here? Is it here that we know of God's faithfulness? And in secondly, in Matthew 16, we see that the religious people were going to Jesus and say, show us a miracle. We want a miraculous sign so that we can believe in who you are saying. And Jesus simply turned to them and said this in Matthew 16. You know how to tell the weather by looking at the sky, but you don't have faith in me because you cannot interpret what is happening around you in fulfillment of what the prophets said long ago. This is a challenge, my friend. It's a challenge. Signs and wonders and miracles are fantastic. They are great and they are needed. We seek the demonstration of God's power through the Holy Spirit and we continue to it with expectant hearts to see the gifts fully outworked. Yet, let our faith be founded on Jesus Christ, the rock of our foundation. Amen. The rock of our salvation. In whom, as we will see throughout this series, fulfilled everything that was spoken of in relation to the Messiah in the Old Testament. And you know what? He will fulfill everything in the consummation of all things in the end. Praise the Lord. So who's ready to get started? Nudge the person next to you and say, you ready? Let's go. Come on. Come on. All right. Got your Bibles? Turn to Leviticus 23. And this is where we're going to start. Leviticus 23, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which I shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Right here, right here, right at the start, there's three things we need to grab hold of. Firstly, God said, these are the feasts of the Lord. Not Israel's feasts, the feasts of the Lord. 
There are three other feasts that we find in the Hebrew calendar, but they're not listed here in Leviticus 23. These are appointed feasts that God has said to Moses to institute on a yearly basis. Again, in verse 4, God says, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. That's verse 4. So they're the feasts of the Lord. Then he said that they are holy convocations. Who ever heard of that word before? It's not a word we use regularly, do we, in our English language? If you use that in a sentence these days, people would go, uh. but they, it is a convocation. Mikraw is how it's pronounced in Hebrew. And a convocation is something that is called out. It is a rehearsal. That's interesting because when we normally talk about feasts, we come at it from an angle of a celebration, don't we? We have a feast, it's a celebration. We're celebrating something. But here God is saying, this is not an observance of the past. This is actually a rehearsal of something in the future. That's interesting, isn't it? He's saying that these feasts are a rehearsal. In observing these feasts, you're actually practicing, you're rehearsing for something that will happen down the track. When we go to a rehearsal, what are we doing? We're going to train, aren't we? We go to practice. That's what a rehearsal is. We are doing something that will happen as a public performance in the future. Who's ever been in a play or done some acting or singing? You go to rehearsals, don't you? You go to rehearsals, you do it, you know, in private. But why? Because there is a public performance coming up down the track. As we see, Jesus' fulfillment of the first four feasts was a public spectacle, wasn't it? Colossians 2.15 says he said he made a public spectacle of them, overcoming them on the cross. You see, these feasts were a rehearsal for what Jesus did in public. And how many of you know that when Jesus returned, it's going to be a public performance? Okay? It's nothing secret about it. The Bible clearly tells us in Revelation 1.7, that he will come and every eye shall see it and every knee will bow down to him. There is nothing private or secret about it. So these feasts are the feasts of the Lord. The second thing is that they are a rehearsal. They are something that was put in place for a future event. And the third is in verse 4. The third thing I just want to pick up on where God says to proclaim them in their seasons. Mawada. Their seasons. Seasons here actually doesn't mean summer, spring, winter, 
and what's the other one? Autumn. It's not talking about those seasons. Seasons here actually is literally translated as an appointment, a fixed time. It's worthy of note that the word feast that God uses in saying these are the feasts of the Lord is the exact same word. The exact same word. In other words, there is an appointed time for the observation and fulfillment of these appointments with God. So if you want to paraphrase verse 4, this is what it will say. These are the appointments of the Lord, holy rehearsals, which you are to call out at the time I have appointed for them. And you know when God makes an appointment, He's on time. Again, something different between God and man. Who's ever been to a doctor? I'm not having a dig at doctors, please. <laughs> right? Appointments. They will come when they are appointed. We know God is a God of order, not chaos. What he has set in motion will follow its course. Isaiah 55.11 says, My word will not return to me void, but it will achieve the purpose for which it was sent. We see in nature, winter follows autumn. Summer follows spring every year. Does that change? Do we come to January 1 and I'm saying, I wonder what order the seasons are going to be in this year? No, because we know God has set them in their place. We know that the, the, the planets of our solar system rotate in an orderly fashion on a set path. So what we see in nature is also true in the spirit. And we know that it has its set time. So in a nutshell, the feasts of the Lord were to be celebrated at an appointed time on a yearly basis as a rehearsal that taught historically and prophetically God's plan concerning the coming Messiah and the redemption of man. You know, the dates and the time of these events are in God's diary and they will happen. So what are these appointed times? We're going to skip over them very briefly this morning just to put them all in context. But then over the next seven weeks, we're going to take each feast and dig deeper into each one. So are you still in Leviticus 23? Yeah? Sweet. Here's a bit of audience participation. Who's got their finger or their, their iPhone on Le in Leviticus 23? Yeah? Come on, I want someone to read these for me. Quickly. Eh? The ones I tell you to. No. My beautiful assistant. All right. So, Leviticus 23.5, please. Is that on? Hang on. Is it on down there? The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. 
Okay, so number one is the Passover. Okay, this feast pointed to the Messiah as our Passover lamb and was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified at Passover. At the same hour, okay, when we'll look at this a bit more in detail next week, that the lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover meal that evening. Okay, Leviticus 23.6. On the 15th day of the, that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. Cool. The feast of unleavened bread. This points to the Messiah's sinless life. As you know, leaven is used as a picture of sin in the Bible, correct? And was fulfilled by Jesus who led a sinless life, making him the perfect sacrifice of our sins. Jesus' body was in the grave on the first day of this feast, like a kernel of wheat planted and waiting to burst forth as the bread of life. Verse 10. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. The feast of the first fruits. This pointed to the Messiah's resurrection as the first fruits of the righteous. Paul's reference to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15.20 as the first fruits from the dead shows that Jesus fulfilled this feast by his resurrection on the very day God appointed for this feast. Verse 16. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Okay. Counting off 50 days. After the Feast of Firstfruits, we come to the Feast of Weeks, or as some come to know it, Pentecost. This pointed to the great harvest of souls and the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. Jesus fulfilled this when he baptized the disciples in the upper room with the Holy Spirit, and the church was born on the very day, and the first gospel was preached by Peter on the balcony. Leviticus 23, 24. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. The Feast of Trumpets. Let's just backtrack a little bit. Can we just go back one slide, guys? So those first four feasts, okay, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruit and weeks, those four were fulfilled when Jesus first came to earth 2,000 years ago. They are known as the spring feasts. Why? Because they occurred in the season of spring. Now, remembering, okay, this is around March, April, okay, and you're thinking, hang on, that's, that's autumn, that's not spring, but we're actually in the northern hemisphere, okay. This is where the Israelite nation was in the northern hemisphere. So these are the spring fe feasts, okay? The first four, already fulfilled in Jesus by his death, burial, resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now don't worry about it. We're going to go through all that again over the weeks to come. But this is just to get an overview of the whole lot. 
And now we come in verse 24 to the Feast of Trumpets. All right, as Janita's read out. And this is the first of the autumn feasts. All right, most commentaries call them the, the fall, but we live in Australia, not in America. All right, we know it as autumn. Now, this, has, this feast has its prophetic purpose and is yet to be fulfilled. And it commonly believed that this feast points to the rapture of the church when the Messiah Jesus will appear in the heavens. When Jesus comes to take his bride, the church, and we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18, in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that the rapture is always associated with what? The blowing of trumpets. A trumpet makes a proclamation, doesn't it? A trumpet calls people to action. Verse 27. The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Okay. The sixth feast is known as the Feast of Atonement. Again, something to be fulfilled in the future. And we believe that this prophetically points to the day of the second coming of Jesus when he will set foot on the earth. Every eye will see and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord and the remnant of Israel will look upon him who they have pierced, repent of their sin and receive him as their Messiah. We see this in Zechariah 12.10 and in Romans 11. It's when Jesus is here. Praise the Lord. And the last one in th verse 34. Okay. Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The feast of tabernacles is the last of the Lord's feasts, as is pointed out in Leviticus 23. Thank you, my darling. And this feast tells us that the Lord's promise that he will once again dwell amongst his people will come to pass. He will tabernacle with us. A tabernacle is a dwelling place. It's a place where we reside and the Lord resides with us. When he returns to reign over all the world, as Micah 4, 1-7 points out. These last three are known as the autumn feasts. The feasts that are yet to come. And they're broken into these two feasts, these two seasons. The spring feast, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits and weeks. And then autumn feast, trumpets, atonement and tabernacle. Paul, in writing to Titus in 2.13, says that these autumn feasts are the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's a lot in these feasts. 
And, um, you know, even just this morning, just touching over a number of them, we might start to think to ourselves, how does it all fit together? Where does it all come into play in my life? My friends, that's why the next seven weeks we need to make that commitment just to come and hear and to make that commitment in our groups to, to mine for it, to, to search it out, to search out this treasure and be able to, to see that God's word will come to pass. You know, we're currently living in that time between spring and autumn. We're living in the church age, the age of grace. We are in the season of what we might call the summer. It's a season of harvest. The church was born on the last of the spring feasts. It will be wrapped up at the start of the autumn feasts. We are in that time where we are called to go into all the earth to share the good news, to baptize those that believe, make disciples and teach them to obey his word. This is the time, this is the season, this is the harvest for this to be done. Because when the trumpet sound, that season's finished. It comes to a close. We are in the season of the harvest. In looking at these feasts, we're not advocating a return to keeping them as some religious sort of ritual. The whole point of the series is not to fulfill any righteous requirements of the law because everything that was required of the law is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not to gain acceptance or additional favor with our Heavenly Father. In fact, Paul writes to the Colossians when others were going around trying to advocate, you know, okay, you believe in Jesus, that's fantastic, now you've got to do this. And Paul was going around trying to correct all this and in Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. Honestly, how much can you do when you're dead? You can't do much, can you? True? And yet when we're in that state, when we couldn't do anything ourselves, it is God who made us alive with Christ. Amen. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
an exhortation of Paul to the believers. That it's not about the keeping of the festival. If you do want to keep them, that's fine. That's fantastic. If that builds your faith, if that, you know, if your faith is what you want to do, then go ahead. But if you don't, make sure you find the reality in Christ. These appointed times of the Lord are the shadow of the things to come. Some of them have been fulfilled. Some of them are still yet to be fulfilled. But let us know, my friends, that these feasts always point us to Jesus and that the reality is found in Jesus Christ, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you that over, even over the next seven, eight weeks, Lord, as we are looking at these feasts that you have um, just revealed to us in Leviticus 23, and Lord, throughout the Bible, the fulfillment of them in Jesus Christ, Lord, we can just thank you and our faith will be built and our faith, Lord, will be strengthened. And Lord, we can just ultimately just, just rejoice in everything that you have for us. Lord, we rejoice in that nothing comes by chance. We rejoice, Lord, that you have laid out your plans and purposes for everyone to see. Lord, and I thank you that we can rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who fulfills them, the one, Lord, who just makes us alive and gives us that blessed hope. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you reveal to us in Jesus' name.